Lask return to Europe once again and after cruising through their Conference League groups last time out, it's back to the Europa League where they will face Liverpool, Union Saint-Gilloise and Toulouse. Welcome to this UEFA Europa League Group E preview podcast. Uh, for the first part, we'll have a chat about LASK and what we think their chances are in the Europa League this season. The second part, we'll hand over to experts. So we'll have interviews uh, covering each of the teams that LASK will be up against. Really, really nice to speak to different people from around Europe and get their views on this group stage. But to start with ours... Um, Lask have made some fantastic European memories in recent seasons, and they've got another good chance to do it all again in what looks like a pretty difficult Group E. Uh, no trips to Klagenfurt needed this time, though, for their home games, because there's a brand new home ground, of course, in the city of Linz. That is a big boost for Lask as they'll face Liverpool of the Premier League, Union Saint-Gilloise of Belgium and Toulouse of Ligue 1. Lee, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts Um on that draw, on those opponents, on Lask's chances, how tough is that Group E looking in the Europa League? I think my thoughts on the draw are reflective of the facial expressions of the Lask delegation at the Grimaldi <laughs> Forum in Monaco when they were drawn with Liverpool. It was just a very wholesome, happy reaction. And I think that's largely because it's such a big storied name to be coming to Austria. I know that that will, as an Everton fan, make Simon... Um, you know, not not overly happy that I'm talking about Liverpool in such glowing terms. But we have to go back to the the start of the COVID pandemic when last got to the knockout stages of the Europa League against Manchester United. And what should have been a really grand occasion in Linz ended up being, I think, the first Geisterspiel, the, the first behind closed doors game that took place in the pandemic. And the last fans missed out on that. So now they will have that chance to... A, make the trip to Anfield and, and B, get to Linz themselves and, and watch Liverpool in town. So I think that's really nice. Union Saint-Gilloise have had a remarkable rise in the past couple of years, have been promoted almost to won the Belgian league twice, but just narrowly missed out and had a great European run last season. Uh, to lose, I have to say, uh, they are quite a quite an unknown prospect to me. I'm not overly familiar with them, but I think it's quite interesting to see that they made it into Europe this season because there were talks over the summer about conflict of interests due to multi-club ownership. And I think that um, the fact we're seeing Toulouse actually playing in Europe this season is something that wasn't immediately evident at the start of the summer. Interesting. Um, Sai, what about your thoughts on, on Lask? You know, how strong are they? Uh, do they have the firepower to kind of take on opponents like this? Or is it, you know, low key, a more difficult group than, than people might expect beyond obviously Liverpool, which uh, people will, will already know Lask will be the massive outsiders for? No, I think it's uh, it's another difficult group for an Austrian, Austrian club. Obviously, Liverpool are Liverpool uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, and, and then the uh, Union Saint-Gilois were Europa League qualifying last season. So this is a team who have a European pedigree uh, in recent years. And also they're a club that produces uh, many, many young talents. 
uh, many of whom are, are, are now at Brighton. So, yeah, the multiple ownership there. And Toulouse, for me, are a little bit of an unknown quantity. But the fact that they, they qualified for the Europa League means that they must be a, a very tough team. So I think for Lask, this is actually a really tough draw. And obviously, the Liverpool games will attract all your attention. But it's, it's, it's the games against Union Sanjoa and Toulouse that will be the most important ones here to qualify. Obviously, Thomas Sagida is in charge at Lask now. They started off a little slowly in the Bundesliga, but they've righted things since then. Um, Peter Michel seems to have been frozen out by Sagida. He's not even in the European squad. And this is one of Lask's kind of all-time midfielders, really. He's been such a good serviceman for them over recent seasons and, you know, for quite a long time, really. Uh, he stayed when it looked like he was going to leave. But if, if Michel's not going to be there... Um, Presumably, that means there are other players, not just in midfield, but all over the pitch, who are capable of actually making an impact in Europe this season. Who are you looking to at Lask, Lee, perhaps? Uh, I think I'd probably point to the captain, Robert Zuld. Um, you know, he's been quite an important player in the first couple of match days or the first series of match days before this last international break. He also got the two goals against Zhirinsky Mostar in the first leg in Linz as well. I think that, that he will obviously be a talisman in the way that Peter Michel was in, in seasons gone by. I think it's a bit of a shame with Michel, actually, because when we think back to last European campaigns of recent years, of, of which there are a number of really good ones, he was one of the key figures in, in some real highlights. So I'd be quite curious to know what's actually gone on behind closed doors there, because you do feel that he would be somebody who could bring a lot of experience to this team, because it's not necessarily a team right now that has loads of European experience. Yeah, Simon, anyone that you'd pick out in the last squad to uh, perhaps make a splash in the Europa League this season? Yeah, so uh, as, as you mentioned, they have plenty of options, really. Uh, I know after the summer with the the, the, the many, many incomings in, in into, into the Raffaison Arena, there will be plenty of players who will want to show their potential. And I'm, I'm looking towards players like Ibrahim Mustafa, uh, Musa Kone, really to, to, to prove themselves in probably the, the the biggest matches they they will have, uh, it's going to be a very interesting group just because of the variety of opponents. I don't think I think playing against Liverpool is going to be quite the experience for those players. It's not many times in your career you'll be playing in front of what fifty odd thousand, and uh, and then playing a home game where the atmosphere is going to be that charged. I think it's going to be very much um, a group where these players can learn. How to play in European competition. There's not much European experience really in the squad when you look at it, considering how often Lask have it in Europe. So um, yeah, it's just gonna be really interesting to, to to see how this this squad can react to these games. Yeah, I think the core of that Lask squad that Glasner brought up to the Bundesliga and then into Europe that had a very similar sort of feel to it throughout quite a few years. But almost all of that team has has gone now. Um, talking about a learning experience, you know, Tobias Laval, the young goalkeeper, what a chance for him to play group stage football. It's so important for the Austrian teams to get into those group stages and have those six guaranteed games, obviously including some big highlights, but I'm looking out for Laval. I'm looking out for Andrade, who's come back in, the Panamanian who got to the Gold Cup final with Panama um, in this this summer. Uh, and he had some real highs in the fullback position or in the, the yeah defensive uh, winger kind of position. Um when he was at last before. So I'm hoping that he can reach those highs again and, and perhaps exceed those. But as you said, yeah, more than 10 players came in, you know, Moses Usor, the likes of these guys, uh, Ibrahim Mustafa, 
they're going to be relied upon to actually find some goals in Europe. And Marin Lubicic is as well. Um, we'll take a little break there and we'll come back with expert interviews for each of Lask's three opponents in just a second. Welcome back to part two of this special Lask Europa League group stage preview. Let's hear now from Nina Kauser from the Anfield Index for her take on Liverpool against Lask. So from the Lask side, it's a club with a market value of around 30 million euro. Uh, it doesn't sound so much when you compare it to Premier League football, of course. The record sale was last season's star player Keito Nakamura. He's gone to Stade Ram in Ligue 1 in France for 12 million euro. Um, that's last record sale by a long shot. Their last, uh, their next best was four years ago when they sold Victor Saar, Joao Victor, for 3.5 million euros. And then other than that, there's no sales from Lask over 1.5 million euros in the club history. There's no others more than that. Um, the record buy is Marin Lubicic, the striker from Croatia. Um, he was 2.9 million euros. And he's still in the squad, had a really good start to the season last year, but hasn't scored as many goals since. Um, and Lask have only got three players ever that they've purchased for more than €500,000. So when you consider in the Europa League group stages, a win is worth more than €500,000. It's quite a big deal for Lask to be in there. We thought the Conference League might suit them a bit better. Nevertheless, they got Zrinski Mostar in the qualifiers, having finished third in the Austrian Bundesliga last year. They got through against Zrinski Mostar. It was, it was solid but unspectacular. But now... They're in the Europa League and they've drawn Liverpool. It's it's really a bit of a dream draw for our side of things. And especially, I'm happy for Lask because they drew Manchester United a few seasons ago. And that was right when COVID hit. And it was really like the first day when everything kicked off in Austria that it was Lask against Manchester United. And their fans were not able to come. On the morning of the day uh, of the game, it was still with fans. And then by the evening, they'd cancelled it. Um, and then they had to go to, to an empty Old Trafford and things. So I'm really delighted that they'll get to go to Anfield. Um, and I'll start with that there. You know, Europa League group stages, Lask fans going to Anfield, they will travel in good numbers. It might be arguably the biggest game ever for Lask and for their fans. Just from an atmosphere perspective, from a football fans perspective purely, what can Lask fans expect from, from a European night at Anfield? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've been accustomed to a fair few and even some in the Europa League as well with Borussia Dortmund and things. Yeah, um, the atmosphere is going to be great. And I know you've just spoken about last there and, you know, Liverpool fans are always up for a European night. I've been to some Europa games in the past, watched Liverpool. The fans are really up for it. Lots of atmosphere. I think people being a really friendly kind of, you know, vibe. I think there's a nice buzz around the club as well now with some of the signings. I think Lask will really, really be in awe of, you know, Anfield, the iconic cop. They'll see, you know, uh, the cop sing, you'll never walk alone. And it's it's a natural experience. I actually remember the the Watford man, um, the the Bournemouth manager talking about he's never, ever played at Anfield, but he played at Goodison Park and like he's really looking forward to being at Anfield. I think it's going to be huge. And yeah, that's heartbreaking that they never got to see that big game against Manchester United because I think Shamrock Rovers had the same thing with AC Milan. And it's heartbreaking for those teams to have that kind of club to host and you can't be there. It's, it's, it's huge for Lask. And I think it's going to be big for Liverpool as well. The supporters will support regardless. 
is it any different for Liverpool and their fans? Obviously, uh, it's a massively storied club, Liverpool. We mm. don't need an introduction of the European history of Liverpool, but they're more accustomed to playing you know, Champions League football, the massive names around Europe. Those are obvious nights that have a huge attraction and will be amazing at Anfield. Is it different against uh, more like minnows? I hesitate to call last minnows because they're a squad, mm. you know, they're a team who've done really, really well. But in terms of the might of European football, they're, they're tiny compared to Liverpool. Um, is there a kind of more a more friendly atmosphere maybe at Anfield, a less, uh, you know, a less charged atmosphere? Or is it just about the same anyway? I think it'll definitely be a lot more friendly. And look, um, you know, like I've got to put it into perspective. Of course, Liverpool wanted to be in the Champions League. And Liverpool consider themselves to be a Champions League side. That being said, I think, you know, just as a whole, the atmosphere at Anfield is always pretty decent. I think where it's really gets supercharged is when it's up against your rivals. I remember the Champions League game against, like, say, the Manchester Cities. You know, that can be a bit more charged. I think the atmosphere will be really nice. I think the fans, even though they want Champions League football, you know, Liverpool supporters are renowned for supporting their club through thick and thin. You'll never walk alone. You know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, the fans will be up for it. I think the atmosphere will be great. And I think, you know, Liverpool now know that, you know, they have a genuine chance to win this and, you know, we've got to start from the groups. Um, what actually happened to Liverpool last season? A lot of fans in Austria will have watched the Premier League. There's obviously a huge amount of fans here who love that league. Um, but how was the season overall? You know, how far away were they in the end from, from the Champions League and what perhaps made the difference? Well, the season before, Liverpool were competing on all fronts. Um, you know, they, they took it to the very end and, of course, only walked away with two trophies, which still is remarkable to domestic cups. I think tiredness, fatigue. I also feel like a lack of investment maybe in the midfield as well. There were some very tired legs in there. Um, injuries didn't help as well. Um, you know, all the World Cup in the middle, though everyone had to deal with that. I just feel like Liverpool were trying to do something a little different with their tactics. And a lot of the players couldn't quite grasp it. It was like a new way to kind of play football, you know, with um, they wanted um, Mosala to be more of like a creator rather than a goal scoring threat from wide. And it took a while to adjust to those things. Overall, I think the concentration was off. The defence wasn't great. There was injuries and as a whole, that midfield was really, really tired and laboured and we've had like a mass exodus and we're on a rebuild now. We've got some new players in. So all those things considered, of course, you look at the money being spent in the Premier League as well. You spoke about last day, you know, you've seen the money that Premier League, Premier League teams spend here and it is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, now dealing with the likes of... Um, you know, Newcastle as well. I think Liverpool could have made top four. Um, it was just that whole horrible period of how they started the, the domestic league all the way till like the Qatar World Cup. Liverpool were quite shocking, to be fair. You mentioned the mass exodus there. Liverpool clearly lost quite a lot of players this summer. Um, who are the toughest ones perhaps to replace? And what's your pick of maybe some of the new signings that, that we should watch out for? Some of the, the fans, uh, some of the players that the fans will get to enjoy um, in, the, in the ties against Lask? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest one that we've lost is, um, personally, I love Roberto Firmino, but it was his time to go. But I think the one that we actually do miss, and I feel like we've not really covered him in a in, in an adequate manner would probably be Fabinho. We brought in Endo from Stuttgart and, you know, when he came in, I spoke to, you know, Bundesliga experts and said he's a very good signing, he's a very smart signing. 
that sounded great. I just thought he might have been a cover for another more established defensive midfielder. And I feel like that's probably our biggest miss, the fact that we didn't cover that basis. Um, it looks like Trent's kind of um, double pivoting with McAllister there. With the players that have come in, I think McAllister is absolutely brilliant. Sabotzlai from Leipzig, absolutely incredible. We've done some really, really good business. Um, Nunes, obviously bought him last season. He looks like he's going to come into something. I just feel like there's a little bit more creativity, a lot more industry and a lot more purpose fullness in the attack we're not just relying on Trent and Rubble in terms of the creative side of things um I just think we need somebody a bit more showed up in the midfield which we have a January window hopefully Liverpool can do something players that I think you should be excited about I do believe and I'm going to be honest I think Jurgen Klopp will have the luxury with the group um I do think it has been quite advantageous to Liverpool um with the travel and the teams as well um, I think we're going to see a lot of young players come in. And I think the one that you should be really excited about will probably be Ben Doak, an attacker for Liverpool. Had a really good pre-season. Um, I'm actually really excited to see him as well because I do believe he needs game time, but do you risk him in the Premier League? So personally, I'm really excited to see him in there. Endor, we bought him. Um, he's played. He's featured twice for Liverpool now um, as a defensive midfielder. And I think he's going to get a little bit of um, playing time in the Europa League. I want to see more of him. So I think that's a player that is exciting. He's going to, I want to see what he does in a defensive sense. I do think we're going to see the likes of maybe like the Cody Gakpo's and Jota's been playing in here as well. So, you know, last we'll get to see, you know, some some quality footballers. Um, I think Matip will probably feature and the Joe Gomez's. And... Um, yeah, with regards to um, the full-backs, Shimikas, I think he's an engine as a left-back. He's just not as good as Robertson, but I do like what he produces. So, yeah, and there's a young defender called Kwanzaa who I think will probably be a centre-back pairing for Joel Matip. It's, these are players that I'm excited to see as well, and I think you will, you will see some senior players thrown in here and there as well, but I think those will be like the, the main starters, in my opinion. Yeah, so... Does that rotation perhaps mean that there's there's a bit of a chance? Obviously, you said it's quite a favourable draw. That's clear. You know, Lask were actually drawn out of pot two. So they have got a good uh, recent pedigree in Europe. They've done well in the Europa League in the past. But uh, right now, you know, that's a it's quite crazy for some people to see Lask in pot two. So potentially it is quite an easy group for Liverpool. Um, they've been Europa League finalists before with Klopp. Is there a real urge to take this really seriously and, and go one better this time around or could you imagine it maybe being kind of a full rotation for some of the games and maybe opening the door for for a result which on paper you'd have to say Liverpool should win twice against last home and away um, but but is it pot potentially a little door being left ajar with with some of that rotation good question um and I think Jurgen Klopp will take it seriously um I think everyone will take it seriously because look where Liverpool are right now you know the league, I think City are always nailed on to win that now. And I think any silverware that is up for grabs, Liverpool have to take. I think the rotation isn't, it's not a sense of like, it's about Jurgen Klopp sort of managing his players because overplaying players gets players injured, certainly with Liverpool as well, with what is required of them. So I think you will see these kids play. Uh, they'll also have a point to prove as well because they're not just random players that he's going to throw in. These players actually make the bench. And, you know, you know, so, you know, they make the bench in, in the Premier League. So these players will want to impress and actually do have the quality. Ben Dock did really, really well in the preseason. It's just 
unfortunate for him that there's Mo Salah, Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunes, Jota and Gakpo in front of him, you know, so, and, but he's very young. So, you know, it's a chance to shine Harvey Elliott as well. Another player that you might see featuring the Europa League as well, who I think has really, really proved that he is actually a quality player. I do think, you know, Liverpool will take this seriously. I think also last can be quite excited about some of these youngsters coming in as well. Maybe they fancy themselves. I don't think Jurgen Klopp or Liverpool will be disrespecting any of the opposition in the group stages. I think it's more a case of managing minutes rather than, oh, it's only last. I don't need to play my best players. I think we've learned a lot of lessons and uh, the players will be out there hungry and want to prove um, that they deserve to be in the shout. Um Last few questions then. Mm-hmm. The away game in Linz for Liverpool, it's a lovely new stadium since uh, last time, actually. So w- when Manchester United came out here, it was the old stadium and it was empty, as we said. <laughs> this yes. time it's the new stadium. It'll be pretty much full. There have been some issues with ticket prices for LASK this season. The brand new stadium, it costs more than it used to. So fans uh, are a little bit wary of that. And you might notice something something from the Liverpool side. If LASK fans seem unhappy or they're protesting and you're not sure what it's about, if you see them wearing a pink shirt in Europe this season it's sponsor related and the fans absolutely hate it so uh, Lask's colors are white and black and if they're playing in in anything other than that you can expect maybe some some disenchantment from the fans maybe but in terms of the Liverpool fans traveling abroad I'm assuming that even though it's Europa League we can expect a full away contingent at uh, the Raiffeisen Arena in, in Linz oh yeah um Liverpool have a solid um you know, away travellers in Europe. One of my good friends, who's also a contributor on AI, actually plans his entire schedule around Europe, games in Europe, and that was Europa as well. There will be Liverpool supporters going. And I think what Liverpool fans do as well is they kind of love cities. So like they like to kind of say, oh, it's a great city, so we're going to like explore the city. You know, it's a different culture. I think it's just... I think, you know, serious football fans like to get football stadiums and cities like it's like a bucket list for them. So and I think you are going to see a lot of Liverpool supporters out there. That's exactly how it should be, isn't it? That's proper Mm. football fandom, you know, just enjoying the journeys that come up. That's what the European draw is all about. Big teams or small teams, the the chance to go to a new city and and just enjoy it. You know, if anybody, if any of the Liverpool fans are coming over, do get in touch with us at other Bundesliga. You can hit us up and uh, we'll hit you up with a few tips of what to do when you're in Linz and how to enjoy your time here. Um, So then the, the dream for you, can Liverpool win the Europa League? Will they perhaps win the Europa League this season? I think you've got to say yes, right? Um, You know, I think it gets a little bit more interesting when the teams from the Champions League fall out. And I think that's when, you know, I think that's when neutrals start taking the the competition a lot more seriously as well. You know, you'll see some teams in there. Of course, last season we had the likes of Barcelona and and such teams. And I think that's when people start paying more attention to it. And I think that's where the competition intensifies. And to answer your previous question as well, I think that's when maybe Jurgen Klopp then does throw in a few more senior players just to show things up. But I think Liverpool are really going to fancy themselves. I do think they are one of the favourites. Um, you know, as a Liverpool supporter, of course, I wanted Champions League football because it's what we've kind of been used to. Uh, but this is... Um, a good chance and I'm going to see the positives of it, seeing our youngsters actually get some game time because, again, Liverpool can't really play those players in the Champions League, you know, so, and it's good for them to have that European experience and to, you know, play in different stadiums against different teams. I think it's going to do them a world of good and, uh, yeah, um, I think Liverpool definitely will fancy themselves and, uh, yeah, bring it on. 
yeah, really looking forward to the two games. Obviously, it sounds like it's not a burden for a club like Liverpool, but more a good opportunity to play European football with perhaps some younger players and perhaps a bit of a less heated environment than the Champions League. Um, for Lask, as I said earlier, you know, it's, it's close to £200,000 per point, which is massive, massive money for a team like Lask. So they'll be going after absolutely anything they can get. I think they only lost 2-1 at Old Trafford in the end last time they were in England. So, you know, they're, they're not to be completely written off, but yeah. there's a lot to look forward to with the two games. Maybe we'll see you in Liverpool. Maybe we'll see you in Linz. Uh, we hope so. But uh, all the best. And thanks very much for joining us today to, uh, to preview Liverpool against Lask. Cheers. No problem. All the best to you as well. Here are the thoughts of Jonathan Johnson on Lask against Toulouse. Jonathan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Toulouse are definitely the team in the group that I know the least about, probably um, our listeners know the least about them as well, I would imagine. Could you just tell us, firstly, a little bit about Toulouse? How did they end up getting into this group stage? How was their season last season? Oh, well, I mean, uh, first of all, Toulouse are, um, you know, they're a very interesting team, given the way uh, that their project has developed over the last couple of years. Uh, You know, sort of anyone who's been sort of keeping an eye on the teams that qualified for uh, the European competitions, uh, we'll probably know that there was um, sort of a bit of a, a complication given that uh, Toulouse's uh, majority owners uh, were the same as uh, Milan's uh, Redbird Capital. So there was sort of a bit of debate about whether or not they'd actually be able to take their place uh, in the competition. Uh, they did get there, of course, qualifying for it by winning the, the Coupe de France, their first uh, major silverware in their history. So, uh, you know, big achievement, especially for a club that's managed to turn itself around pretty well over the last couple of years after being relegated to Ligue 2 with a frankly terrible record uh, in Ligue 1 um, and then sort of rebounding uh, in sort of the post-COVID era. But, uh, you know, they're a a fascinating uh, team to, to look at. I mean, the makeup is actually very... Uh, I guess you call it un-French uh, in sort of the way that their team is is constructed. Like if you look through it, you've got quite a few Scandinavian players. Uh, you've got uh, a number of Dutch uh, talents as well. Uh, you know, they're led by a head coach uh, and this is his first senior posting, uh, Carlos Carles Martinez Novel, sorry. And uh, no, it's... Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm really not sure what to expect from them. Obviously, uh, you know, they're not sort of European regulars. Um, and while that maybe works against sort of Ligue 1's interests, certainly in terms of the UEFA coefficient, which is becoming more and more important every season, given the, the generally poor performances by French clubs on the continental scene in the last couple of years, uh, you know, there, there is also an argument to suggest that, well, if the same sort of names are failing each and every season, why not give new teams a shot? And, you know, Toulouse are, are certainly newcomers in that sense. So, uh, you know, a very interesting team uh, who have had, I guess you could say, a decent start to the season, sort of solid but not spectacular. Um, you know, and I think probably the the name that most people will be familiar with um, sort of in this current Toulouse setup is actually that of the president, Damien Comodi, uh, who, of course, uh, you know, has had quite a, a, a storied history, certainly. Uh, Premier League fans will remember him from his time with Arsenal, uh, Tottenham, but also Liverpool as well. So, you know, it's very much uh, sort of a, a modern uh, concept, uh, the way that the Toulouse are run. They do a lot of their recruitment based on sort of data and, uh, you know, crunching the numbers uh, and sort of seeing how their European adventure unfolds in these, these coming weeks. 
and months, uh, you know, it's certainly something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, it does sound like quite an interesting backstory for this particular league and team. Um, Cup winners last season, as you mentioned, who were some of the pivotal figures in that ultimately very successful Cup run? And did Toulouse manage to keep hold of them? Have they built upon that squad this summer or have they lost some of their, their key building blocks from last year? Uh, interestingly, they've separated with a number of really uh, experienced players. Uh, the likes of Captain Brecht Diego has gone. Uh, Branko van den Boomen, who you know perhaps was maybe one of the more prominent members uh, of the squad up until his departure over the summer. In fact, there was a very interesting scenario as well where Stein Spearings left, joined Lens, uh, and then literally just a couple of days ago, because there exists the Joker transfer window, uh, in France, he's actually been loaned back to, to Toulouse, so he left, sort of played a couple of games with Lens and now has returned to Toulouse, which is you know, quite a, a unique kind of scenario. But sort of, you know, I think Vanden Boomen is, is, is definitely one of sort of the main names that, that, that people have been looking at, uh, you know, sort of attributing some of their success towards a fantastic set piece taker. Uh, and somebody who, you know, really shone, uh, you know, for his technical ability uh, over a couple of years with Toulouse. So a big loss for them. Uh, but also, uh, you know, there's a number of other players who have sort of risen to prominence in the in, in the last couple of years. Tista Linga uh, up front, uh, another name to, to keep an eye on. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, a couple of other uh, very interesting talents, the likes of Zakaria Abouklad. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a handful of other sort of young and emerging uh, names. So it's it, it, the, the mix in the squad uh, is very cosmopolitan. There's a lot of, you know, different nationalities, uh, you know, thrown in there. But all of them have sort of excelled at different aspects of the game, which is why they've been sort of put together, uh, you know, based on all of the, the, the data that has, has been made available to Toulouse over the last couple of years. Uh, through their through their ownership uh, setup, well, at least until recently, when they had to to sort out the situation with Milan. From the pitch, then to the to the grandstands, what's the situation like at their stadium? Uh, what can fans who go there expect when they go away to visit? Um, is it a well supported club? Uh, the the pictures I've seen of the ground in Toulouse look very nice. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a nice stadium, uh, and and it literally is just called just that the the Toulouse Stadium or Municipal Stadium, uh, as it's also known. Uh, and it is. Uh, it's you know it's one of the venues uh, that was sort of renovated uh, just in time for the for the Euros at twenty sixteen, where it hosted a handful of games. Um, it's also hosting some games, I believe, for the Rugby World Cup, which is currently going on. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it is one of the the sort of nicer venues. And also it's it's kind of a strange experience because Toulouse do have uh, a passionate fan base, quite colourful as well, and not just because of the fact that they play in purple. Uh, but it's, you know, it's sort of rarely ever, uh, you know, kind of like a, a sold out uh, stadium there's always kind of uh, empty seats uh, available which I guess would be one of the sort of criticisms uh, of of them because while they get good attendances uh, it's very difficult for a club like Toulouse especially sort of where Toulouse have been the last couple of years to expect them to be selling out week in week out uh, when the you know the, the capacity of the stadium is uh, upwards of 30,000 but it is one of the one of the nicer venues and obviously Toulouse as well uh, is, a, is a fantastic city very underrated very uh, dynamic as well in terms of the way that uh, it's it's sort of developing 
uh, a reputation for itself as, as somewhere that's becoming nicer and nicer to live for French people, uh, but, you know, but also has quite a, a young um, sort of vibe to it with, uh, you know, quite a lot of students there and stuff like that. It uh, sounds like another potentially very exciting trip then. Um, lots of good options for Austrian fans going abroad this season for European games. Um, last but not least, from what you said, it sounds like French football, you know, it's maybe not in its in its best form uh, on Europe or hasn't showed itself in the best way in Europe in, in recent seasons. Do you think Toulouse will be able to buck that trend at all? Are they dark horses, a kind of unknown quantity coming into Europe? And what do you think they'll manage to achieve in this group? I mean, I'd love to think that they could. Uh, sort of the the frustration, though, for me as, uh, as as a French football expert, sort of seeing this happen season after season, is I always find that French clubs always pretty much need a season to adapt to playing in Europe before really getting used to to the rigors and uh, being able to prepare themselves properly for it. So. If Toulouse were to enjoy uh, a really strong run of European form, uh, I'd say that it's you know a fairly healthy probability that their domestic form would suffer. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, this has led to a situation where there's not that much consistency in terms of the teams qualifying for, for European competitions uh, season after season. Okay, you can guarantee that you're going to have the likes of PSG playing in the Champions League. Uh, you know, but even for another uh, you know giant like Marseille, for example, it's not always guaranteed that they will make it to the to the Champions League. Obviously, with an eye on the the UEFA reforms in the next couple of years, France, at least at the beginning, uh, you know, should sort of have uh, a bit more clarity and better representation uh, in certainly in terms of the the Champions League spots. But really what French football needs uh, to address this problem that they've got with the coefficient, notably the fact that they've sort of been overtaken by the Netherlands very recently, uh, is they need some of the, the clubs that are you know, competing in competitions like the Europa League, like the Europa Conference League, to go on not just deep runs, but, you know, realistically now to, to start actually picking up silverware. Am I expecting to lose to sort of go on that kind of run and potentially, you know, win everything? No, but it would be nice for, for them to, to put in a strong showing, uh, you know, for, for French football, but also for themselves sort of, uh, you know, making their debut at this, uh, at this stage. And it's... Um, it's yeah it's you we're kind of in this situation now where a lot of hope is pinned on on PSG and what they do in the Champions League in order to maintain France's position as sort of one of the the, the recognized top five in Europe uh, you know and fingers crossed a number of the clubs whether it's the clubs dropping down out of the Champions League into the Europa League or Europa League into the Europa Conference League just some of these clubs really need to start picking up uh, you know, success and, and silverware, uh, you know, and if that was to happen from this season uh, onwards, then, you know, I think it could help to, to put France and French football in a, uh, in a much better position. But, um, you know, I wouldn't sort of rush to put too much pressure uh, on Toulouse for this season. Uh, I think it's probably going to be, you know, new territory for, for the club uh, as much as it is for, for the league, having, the, having themselves being represented by Toulouse for the first time in uh, in a long time, uh, you know, and I think as well, many people might recall sort of a couple of decades ago when Toulouse had that brief foray uh, into Europe uh, when they had Gignac up front scoring the goals, they had Johan Elmander as well for any sort of uh, Premier League aficionados listening, listening, into the, listening into the interview. And, you know, they've spent a long, long time away 
for, from this sort of stage. There is going to be, you know, a sense of occasion uh, that surrounds this for them, uh, you know, and also even just for French fans, like a sense of curiosity, really, to see how Toulouse will, will sort of handle themselves, uh, you know, in this kind of environment. So maybe they do become uh, sort of a fixture uh, on the continental stage uh, in years to come. But, um, you know, realistically, uh, I think, you know, French football really needs some of these clubs that qualify now to, to not just be there to make up the numbers, but to really go far. So, you know, the fingers crossed, uh, you know, from a French football point of view, that Toulouse aren't, uh, you know, going to end up uh, sort of in one of those nightmare scenarios that we've seen so often from league young clubs where they sometimes don't even get out of the group. Gut feeling then, if we assume that Liverpool will go through from this group, will it be Toulouse who go through with them? I'd love to think so, but... Um, yeah, it's very difficult to see past Liverpool topping uh, topping the group. So I think every other you know team in it you know will be realistically aiming for second place at best. Uh, and I think giving a good account of themselves, uh, you know, and, and you know looking to to be serious contenders for that second spot is arguably what Toulouse should be aiming for from uh, from the off and trying certainly trying to be difficult to beat on uh, on home soil. Jonathan Johnson, thank you so much for your thoughts on Toulouse. It's been really nice to have you on this podcast. Really nice to hear about perhaps the team we know the least about in the group. And now we can all just go and look forward to the rest of the games that are ahead of us in this European group stage. Thanks a lot for having me. We enlisted the help of the Belgian Football Podcast to preview Union Saint-Gilloise against Lask for us. So it's great to have you on to tell us about Union Saint-Gilloise. Could you tell us a little bit about the club and um, what's happened for them in the last couple of seasons? How have they got into Europe and how did they end up in this Europa League group? Well, listeners um, probably have heard a little bit about Union Saint-Gilloise because they've had a they've had an amazing kind of two or three years, actually. Last couple of seasons, uh, narrowly missed out on winning the Belgian title, particularly last season uh, where they went within, you know, well, less than five minutes of winning the title when we had that absolutely crazy final day of the season in the Belgian Pro League. Um, the a club who've really been on the the up and up for kind of quite a while now. They're a very smartly run club. That's worth pointing out, um, and kind of highlighting the people behind the scenes at Union. Um, you know, are are really at the top of their game. I think, and a lot of clubs can can learn a lot from them as a as a working model, particularly when it comes to their recruitment. One of the big questions around the club coming into the start of this season has been, could they repeat the trick of the last couple of years or putting in a real title challenge when effectively they've been rebuilding a new team? So a new coach has come in um, uh, in early July, uh, Alexander Blesson, who did spend a little bit of time in Belgium before, had a really successful spell at Oostend for about 18 months and then went off to Syria A to join Genoa. Couldn't save them from relegation. Uh, lost his job there, had a bit of time out of the game and, and has come back in and, and joined Union Saint-Gilloise as, as their new T1 after uh, Carol Gierert surprisingly left at the end of um, last season. And this has really been a, a rebuild over the summer for them. Um, they've had, uh, I think, 14 have left and 12 have come in. 
Um, so it's been a big changeover, um, and they've lost some really big hitting players in there, like Victor Boniface, who some people might have heard of. He's doing really well at Leverkusen now. Um, he got his big move there for twenty and a half million a few weeks ago, um, and arguably even more influential, uh, Captain Fantastic Teddy Tuma, uh, who's now left Union and gone to uh, Ram in France and uh, has started very well there. So they've lost players who. Um, I think a lot of people felt, you know, we're going to see a drop off here, but they've they've started the the new season in Belgium very very well. We're six games in. Uh, they're sitting sixth at the moment, but they're only three points off the top with a game in hand. Um, so uh, they, they they're doing pretty well, and the the recruitment appears to have paid off for them again. Did extremely well, obviously, in Europe last season, uh, reaching the kind of quarterfinals. Um, uh, could have gone further, arguably, um, had a great run in Europe. Um, everyone's hoping they can kind of sustain that this year again. Um, no reason why they can't, actually, I don't think. Um, and they, they've they they've had a really good season with the recruitment over the summer. They've kind of cruised through qualifying for Europe as well. They, they easily dispatched uh, Lugano um, in, in the playoff round there to kind of secure their qualification. And, and, and as we know, there's a, a really interesting group draw there now. Yeah, quite a lot of parallels with Lask, actually. A lot of players coming in and out at Lask, too. Uh, a little bit of a rebuild in its own way. Um, a fairly solid start to the season, too. It looked a bit shaky at first for Lask, but they've come back OK after six games. And also, Lask lost one of their biggest players to Ram in the summer, too, with Keita Nakamura going fairly late in the transfer window for a club record fee to Ram. So uh, both Union Saint-Gilloise and Lask can be united in their, yeah, their dislike of Ram in a way, or they'll be, they'll be happy that they received the money from them at least. But to move away from players for a second, um, more geographically, uh, where is the club based? What's it going to be like for the Lask fans uh, who are traveling there? What's the, the surrounds like? What's the stadium like? And uh, yeah, what's it, what's it like to take a day, day trip out to that club? Well, this is an interesting one because they're they're one of a number of Brussels-based clubs um, in Belgium, and uh, because of UEFA regulations for European matches, they're not actually able to play their home matches at their at their own stadium. So um, over the last year or so, they've been using um, Leuven's ground, Den Drief, for some games, uh, but they appear to have settled on uh, a deal with one of the Brussels rivals, Anderlecht, in using Lotto Park. Um, which is obviously in Brussels as well. But the, the club's own stadium is based in the southwest of Brussels, um, Park Duden. It's it's um, a big groundhopper's favourite, um, has a real kind of cult status. Um, the, the stadium is actually um, has listed status, um, so they, they can't rebuild it. And they're, they're working very hard away in the background at the moment to, to, to secure a site that they have in mind for a new stadium because uh, the club is growing you know, really, really fast because of its success over the last three years. And, and financially speaking, they're losing a lot of money without that new ground. So it is a priority for them. So the last fans will get to enjoy uh, Brussels um, and get to enjoy Anderlecht's stadium uh, for an evening instead of Union's own stadium. Um, but if they're if they're in Brussels uh, for a few days, then it's definitely worth taking a little visit over to the other side of the city because Anderlecht Stadium's on the north of the city. Um, 
the Joseph Marion Stadium, Union's grounds in the southwest. So it's not it's not too far away. Um, and I would certainly encourage last fans to maybe take a wee trip over there because the stadium's normally open and they're very friendly. They let you wander in and take pictures and, and, and nice things like that. And they've got a really good clubhouse that serves great Belgian beer, obviously. And you might be able to get yourself some fries as well. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, great tips for anybody planning an away day there from Austria. Um, good to know as well. It's more parallels really with Lask because some of Lask's great European runs over the last few seasons were based when they, they couldn't play in their home stadium and they didn't really even have a proper home stadium. But that's changed now. They've got the new stadium in Linz. So Union Saint-Gilois fans will be able to actually visit a stadium in the centre of Linz for European football once again, which is uh, really, really nice. Um, what about the away support? from Union Saint-Gilois, like how has that been obviously in this sort of new uh, European history that they're forming now, these chapters that they're writing, do they tend to take a big away contingent and do they tend to play well uh, on the road in Europe? Well, I think a lot of people expected, you know, when they first started playing um, what would be their home games at Dendrief, which is actually Leuven's ground, another top flight Belgian club, um, there was an expectation, I think, that that might be a bit of a concern for them. But the, their form has been so consistently good over the last sort of two, two and a half years that they carried that into to, to their European performances on the most part. So, you know, being away from the traditional home hasn't really disrupted them at all in their consistency um, in Europe so far. And they certainly haven't feared um, you know, travelling around uh, Europe over the last year as well. They've they've had some great results, um, you know, winning in places where, you know, they wouldn't be expected to as well. So they, this is a side that are kind of quite fearless. That's a word I use when I talk about them um, a lot. And that, that doesn't appear to have lessened, you know, with so many new players and, and a new coach coming in. In fact, Alexander Blessing actually is, um, he's from, he's a former Red Bull Leipzig uh, youth coach. Uh, coached with a number of the sides there before his first proper T1 job, which was with Oostend, um in Belgium. So, you know, he prefers a, a sort of an aggressive pressing game um, and that will be no stranger to, to, to Lask fans, um, you know, that Red Bull kind of pressing model, which, which you know, we know so much about now. But that's that's generally the template that he's, he's followed at all of the clubs he's been at and tried to impose when he was in Italy as well. But um, I think um, Genoa struggled to, to kind of take to that. Understandably, you know, that's a big kind of cultural change, particularly when the club at that time, Genoa, were, were really struggling um so that that was never really likely to work out for him unfortunately but he's had some time out and he's come back and um he's back to his uh, his old tricks which seem to be working for him again you mentioned some of the big players to leave, like Boniface going to Leverkusen and starting the season really well there. Um, if you had to pick out one or two players who you'd hope um, will make a big impact this season in the Europa League, either new players or, or stalwarts of the of the last few seasons for Union Saint-Gilloise, um, who, who would you look towards for this campaign and who should maybe Lask fans be looking out for? Well, there's a couple worth keeping an eye on. Um, the new, the new main man, um, Dennis Ecker Ienza, who's one of four strikers at the club at the moment. Um, he's already scored five uh, with one assist in the opening five games. So you know that that that's as good as it gets from his point of view in Unions as well. And he's really hit the ground running. Um, he was a bit of a bit part player last season. Um, and I don't think that many people necessarily expected him to be the the kind of number one striker, but he, he he's come in 
um, and really claim that that spot for his own from from the beginning. So it doesn't look like anyone's going to kind of dislodge him from that um, anytime soon. Another one worth looking out for uh, a new signing who came in this summer, uh, Kevin McAllister. Um, Argentinian centre-back, who is the brother of a certain other McAllister at Liverpool. So we will have a McAllister derby in this group, uh, which I think everybody's looking forward to. And actually, he's every bit as good as his brother, I have to say. I've been really enjoying watching him in the opening games um, this season in, in the Pro League. In fact, I was I sent a message just a couple of days ago to Alex Musio, the president of Union, that we know kind of quite well, just to um, tell him how much I was enjoying watching Kevin, because he's a very... Um, he's a very unshowy defender. He does a lot of the untidy things um, and doesn't really get the credit for it. You know, he's the sort of player who I think um, fans really value and appreciate because he, he's definitely a, a, a team player and contributes a lot and is, is one of those kind of unsung heroes. And he seems to have um, bedded into that role and looks like he's been there for for ab- absolutely for ages. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see him play, playing in Europe. And I think the media will be making quite a lot of uh, him and his brother's relationship, particularly with those those two ties um, against Liverpool as well. Yeah, great narrative for the brothers facing off, but also Lask get to see them, you know, one after the other with the games against Liverpool and then Union. So they get tested by both. Um, for me, Union was kind of a a bit of a nightmare draw in in some senses. So obviously, I think a club that, that are in a lower pot than they deserve to be European-wise and maybe uh, mm. Lasker are a club in a higher pot. Than, not that they deserve to be. They've obviously earned the place there, but I don't think Lasker are, are as strong, perhaps, as a pot two Europa League team. When you look at the names that are in the draw, there's teams in pot four, there's teams who didn't make the group stages who are probably stronger on paper than, than Lask would expect to be. So it's a very tough draw then, having teams that are probably expecting to do better than you coming out of pots three and four from below. But do you think Union um, have have big ambitions again for the Europa League this season? Certainly of getting through the group uh, alongside Liverpool, I would imagine. But do you think they'll see it that way and they'll be aiming for, for maximum points against Lask? I think Union fans are just really enjoying this ride, actually. I, I think they have, they're, they're kind of... Um, they're a really interesting support, actually, the Union support. It's a very eclectic football club. Uh, it's very left-wing uh, for the most part. And um, egalitarian is the word I always use when talking about their support. You know, they're very welcoming of all-away supporters. Um, and the, they're a very open and interesting fan base, actually. Um, you know, one of the most interesting you can come across. The club has got a really interesting kind of fan culture behind it, too. Um, quite quite a lot could be, could be said about that. I think, you know, I think doing so well in Europe last year kind of underlines the, the potential that they've got. Um, I, I think a lot of people felt that they wouldn't necessarily be able to um, create much of an impression, you know, coming into European football after having been outside the top flight in Belgium for so long. This is only their their third season back in the top flight um, after a 40-year gap because they're, they're one of the great historical clubs um, culturally in Belgian football. You know, they, they've, they've actually won the third most titles after Anderlecht and Club Bruges. So this is a club who have a really rich history in, in, in Belgian football, which a lot of people probably won't know unless they, 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 they follow it. And they've come back into the top flight uh, three years ago and look like they've never been away. Um, and they'll be hoping they can kind of continue that. And I think they've they've really juggled that that thing that some clubs struggle with, um, juggling you know being consistent domestically and and still managing to compete 
uh, respectfully in, in in Europe very very well um, the, to such an extent that that I think actually it's helped them. You know, it's helped their energy levels and their motivation and the squad competition and all of those things that kind of coaches look for a, a positive response to. Um, and I think they they are a club who relish having that that kind of hectic schedule um, and and not being able to necessarily relax and and treating all all opponents regardless of of who they are with that kind of same level of respect. Um, so it, it's an interesting one that. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be two good ties. I think two difficult ties, but still uh, more and more parallels that I heard there with Lask. It seems like we might be playing against the the Austrian, uh, you know, the the Austrian Lask against the the Belgian Lask in a way. So uh, two interesting ties. To yeah, I mean, I th- I think, yeah, it's definitely a good comparison, and particularly with Blessing as as a coach, because as I was saying, his model is is a his preferred playing style will will be seen at a lot of clubs in in the Austrian Bundesliga as well. So uh, I think he's probably uh, quite excited about uh, about these two ties as well, because the, the, there's a lot in there for for people to get their teeth into. Yeah, absolutely. He's excited. We're excited to see what Thomas Sagida, who's just taken over at last, see what he can do in the European group stages. And uh, yeah, we're hoping for two exciting games and we'll keep our fingers crossed for some last points because that's that's big money. That group stage money is big money for Lask. Um, I don't know if that's the, the same sort of financial reality at, at Union or, or maybe the Belgian league is a little bit different financially. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is. I mean, particularly what I was saying earlier about, you know, the, the the issue with a new stadium and the priority to to, to try and get that uh, secured um, is underlined by by Europe. The profile aspect of it is very important for for recruitment, obviously. But because they're losing a lot of money um, in in not being able to play um, their their home games at their own stadium, and even domestically, actually, because the club have been so consistently successful over the last three years, particularly under the new owners, that they, um, you know, they need to kind of continue building on that while they're they're on that upward trajectory. And that's where this new stadium becomes very important to that. So being in Europe consistently with the income and profile that goes with that, you know, obviously in, in the short term without that new stadium um, becomes even more important for them on a, on a financial level. Yeah, crucial times for Union Saint-Gilois then. And uh, good to see them back in the group stages. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Thanks a lot for your insight from the, the Belgian perspective. It's been really nice to talk to you. And uh, yeah, just uh, looking forward to the games now. That's all that's left to come. Cheers, Tom. It's been good talking to you. A massive thank you to all the contributors for this European podcast. Great to speak to brilliant podcasters and brilliant journalists from around Europe to talk about Lask's chances and Lask's opponents more specifically. Uh, Before we end this European pod, Simon and Lee, I want to look forward to those group games and uh, I'll do the same two questions as uh, the other European pods that we've done. What do you think? I'll go to you, Lee, first. What do you think is the crunch game, if there is indeed a crunch game for Lask? in this group? What's it all going to going to rest on, perhaps, for them? Uh, I think that we have to consider those two Liverpool games as probable defeats. And having seen what Union Saint-Gilloise could do in Europe last season, I think that those games will also be very challenging. I think Lask will probably be looking at the two games against Toulouse in terms of whether they can at least finish third and drop down to the Europa Conference League. So I would say the Toulouse games are probably the ones that 
I think will be the crunch ones and will determine whether they go through to some form of knockout stage or not. So if they're in with a shout still when they play Toulouse at home on the 14th of December on match day six, then then they'll take that and they'll use that as the decider potentially for, for P3, you think. Um, Simon, anything different from you? No, uh, for me, roughly the same sort of thoughts. I mean, you look at Liverpool and they, they, they will get, you know, six wins out of six in this group, most probably. Um, with, with, with Union Sanjawa, I mean... Obviously, this was a team that got to the Europa League quarterfinals last season, a very, very quality team. But I do think there's potential for the last to get points off them as well. So frankly, as I said in the Salzburg preview, I think basically all the games not against Liverpool are very, are basically like cup finals for Lask. And uh, I would be happy if Lask could drop down in the Conference League because the fact is, I think they could go quite far in the Conference League. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think that those four games are definitely the most important and the Liverpool ones are just ones for for, for the players and the fans to enjoy Um, talking about games for the fans to enjoy which game would you most like to enjoy in this group I'll start with you Simon first because I'm guessing Liverpool might not be the obvious answer for for you even though it might be for for many others which game would you most like to be at if I if I was a Lask away fan, I'd probably look at the trip to to, to Union San Joa, trip to Brussels. You know, a wonderful city. I think uh, that that would be the trip I'd be looking forward to. But I understand why uh, you know maybe these fans are looking forward to a trip to Liverpool. But you know, yeah, it would be Anfield for me. To be, fair. I think as a football fan, <laughs> it would be Anfield, um, Liverpool away, November. I've the been 5th. to Anfield before, Tom. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been, been there. I've, I've done that. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen it. It's all good. <laughs> no more needed for you. No more time spent uh, at Anfield needed for you. I've heard that the shop there is is a, a thing unto itself, which is really worth visiting. Um, Lee, I mean, I've never been to Anfield, so that's still got quite a lot of excitement for me as a football fan. Um, Lee, for you, which one would you would you most like to go to? Well, Lask have played quite a few English teams in recent years. Obviously, the the Manchester United second leg ended up coming, what, five or six months after the first leg. And they played Tottenham as well. I think that there's a lot of, you know, enthusiasm about the Premier League and English football in Austria. And I reckon that a lot of Lask fans will absolutely have their hearts set on that trip to Anfield. So I can look no further than that, I think. All right, then. We'll uh, bid adieu for this podcast for Lask's Europa League group then. Thanks to everybody who we spoke to. Thanks uh, to you, Lee. Thanks to you, Simon, as well. And thanks to everybody who listened. Good luck to Lask in the Europa League group stage in Group E. We will be keeping our fingers crossed for them as we do for all of the Austrian teams in the hope that they can pick up some points for the five-year coefficient. Let's see how it goes. 